My name is Elifema Chu, and this is Deprivation Discourse. Every episode, I sit down with young people and professionals, and we have a real open discussion about what it is to be a young person in poverty today. You can find out more info about the research project behind this podcast at deprivationdiscourse.com. So I'm here today in the Far Center, which is the Fenham Association of Residents in Fenham, for those not local to the area. And I'm here with project manager Mark and Jordan, who is a young person who has used the service since age three, I think it is, um, and also is now a lead on the I Will project. So I guess my first question should be, what is the Far Center? So um, Far stands for Fenham Association of Residents. It's a registered charity. It's a community development project. The um, backstory to FAR, if you like, dates back a long, long time. And this goes back to the 1970s and the early 80s. Um, effectively, that was a period of time of a lot of social uh, social unrest around not just the Newcastle, but around the North East. And um, it led to the new phenomena of drug dealing and a lot of issues that were impacted around poverty, a lot of issues that were impacted around the economic decline and a lot of typical industries that employed the the labour workforce in the area suddenly kind of vanishing from our communities. This particular area, it's uh, originally uh, around five to six hundred houses which were social housing they belonged to the city council at that time and uh, ultimately it became an area that people suddenly didn't feel safe in and uh, this was effectively down to local women uh, who were mothers of young children at the time as the majority of the housing stock is for two to three dependents. So we had a a situation where a lot of residents were moving out of the area and the area was becoming quite kind of isolated and uh, ultimately the issues around drug and alcohol misuse were becoming very, very divisive for, for people living here. So we saw kind of uh, a, a kind of suddenly families becoming really concerned about it. This was their home, this was where they grew up, this was where they wanted their children to grow up, becoming an unsafe kind of area. But they weren't really getting any support and uh, effectively it came down to a couple of local women meeting in each other's houses. This was before we had any kind of um, community buildings whatsoever. They were meeting in each other's houses and they were trying to kind of share stories, trying to kind of peer support, trying to understand a way beyond the the issues that were facing them. And, uh, effectively, that coming together was the, the, the kind of the first seed being sown of the, of the organisation. And it suddenly kind of grew and blossomed and uh, became uh, a much more kind of radical approach um, of families coming together and not just isolated individuals. 
And I think within that, that created a momentum of itself. And that momentum drove forward this trajectory of change. We're in such a lovely building that has such a history. Um, and I know the Far Centre hasn't always been a community building either. It's been out of, you know, residence houses and this amazing community space. When I walked in, there was like a video intercom so you could see, like physically see the people coming in and out. And even just having, you know, food crates at the door, it's just obvious that this space is being used um, for a whole host of different things. Could you tell us a little bit more about the journey that the Far Centre has had into becoming a community building, but also the challenges that it's faced over the decades that it was formed? Um, I sampled a little bit of life in the previous community house. And it was it was very important to see how people were interacting with that space because although it was an inadequate resource, you could ultimately see the affection that people had for the for the project. You know, it wasn't necessarily, you know, about where they were. You know, in many respects, it was in spite of that. Uh, it was more that sense of community activism that was coming from within them. And, uh, and these elements were important to kind of try to capture and bring into the, the spirit of the new building. So the building grew and changed and morphed the the needs of the area became more kind of visible about how we could bring about kind of better change how we could kind of try to identify the things that we might bring about long term change and uh, and I think one of the key things was the lack of provision for children and young people and I think this was quite key and it was really important to me uh, because we could see that there was such huge massive enthusiasm about this new building that was coming in 2001 because there'd literally not been anything in the area for anybody to access. Um, but then it created a kind of, well, we've got this new building. We had nothing else. <laughs> so uh, we didn't even have furniture. And um, uh, one of our trustees, uh, Sister Doreen Bell, kind of battered down the door of Northern Rock before they kind of went extinct and managed to get a grant off them. So we had tables and chairs. You know, it, it became a, a kind of a huge challenge because, you know, it was palpable, this sense of lack of resource for young people. And that became quite kind of key to the to the work that, that I've tried to kind of bring forward into the organisation. And also, I think the young people have really helped themselves from the fact of, you know, really embracing the, the project and uh, and people like Jordan are a really good example of, of how they've been immersed in it, not just for, a, you know, a couple of weeks over the summer, but through ultimately the a long period of his of his life. And, uh, and Jordan's a, a good example of that. And there are other young people who've been in similar positions. So we, we continue to grow. Um, we, we battled on with the, the aim of trying to say that this one-storey building wasn't sufficient for our needs. And then we moved towards, you know, crikey, history lesson. We moved towards 2008, 2010 with, you know, uh, financial collapse uh, globally. But the, the massive impact that that had on, on our communities, you know, I think ultimately... A lot of people are talking about kind of banks, a lot of people were talking about kind of the impact on big business. 
But the, the huge thing and the thing that was masked over was the, the huge impact that it had on communities because people were, you know, losing uh, their houses, they were losing their jobs, they were in severe levels of debt. And this actually brought us back full circle to where the organisation was in the 70s and 80s. And we saw the reintroduction of loan sharks and doorstep lenders. However, you know, modernised uh, because now it could be, you know, uh, a, a doorstep lender working through an app on your phone. You know, we had the uh, money lenders that were not doing any checks and balances. So we saw young people getting access to, to kind of, you know, unlicensed loans, uh, which was feeding into addiction problems in the area. So all of these kind of complexities, they weren't new to the organisation. The, the sad thing was that they were allowed to kind of come back. But through, you know, kind of uh, the organisation working together, we had kind of said, what do we need to do to ensure that we're not going to be one of the organisations that falls kind of off the planet as it were so ultimately that that worked into a scheme that took a long period of time but in 2015 we we secured this this grant and we did a a major uh re kind of configuration of the building took it from a one-story building into uh, a half a million pound building that's got lots of rooms has huge amounts of capacity we uh, annually have around about a thousand different people accessing the building every year now. Um, it provides support for children with additional needs. It has a sensory room. It has a, a preschool group. It has uh, a local young person running a beautician company from here. It provides lunch for all people. It provides social development work. And, of course, it provides a lot of stability for people, like children and young people in, in our area, providing a lot of scope to uh, to support their needs. And I think that has helped us kind of uh, showcase the work that we wanted to do to different funders, so BBC Children in Need, uh, Community Foundation, Tyne and Weir, have been really supportive. Uh, the capital funding from the, the Big Lottery Fund kind of supported that building work and a whole host of other other funders have, have been so supportive the Society for the Sacred Heart have come in and helped Henry Smith Foundation so a lot of people have contributed into where we are but ultimately that's been matched by the children and young people by our volunteers and other service users that kind of enthusiasm has really kind of uh, really helped us kind of keep motivated, keep that kind of onward trajectory that, that was there in the 70s and 80s. And this year we've been celebrating our 30th anniversary of being a registered charity. I suppose on the note of talking about the service and the users of the service of the Far Centre, Jordan, you've been with the Far Centre for so long and now you're heading a project about homelessness in the area with the Far Centre. Do you want to talk a little more about what it's been like to be a part of a community project like this for so long? Absolutely. I've been coming to far since I was about three years old when I came as part of the nursery that was here way back then. As I've grown up, because I've um, grown up with far, going through the different groups, like uh, going from the nursery up into the toddlers, through to the um, juniors and so on. 
and it's kind of really shaped me into kind of who I am and kind of obviously I don't really know if I could imagine my life without it because obviously I say it shaped us if it wasn't here I don't know probably what I'd be doing it's definitely helped us develop as like a mature adult and so I think it's done that for quite a lot of different people as well everyone in the kind of area has really grown up and it's become almost like a second family and kind of all these people that you grow up with and get to know and are there to help you and they they want to see you succeed that's a really nice thing to kind of be a part of and it is it's, it's a community yeah it's a, I, I do love hearing that story like you know when you tell about the past because mm. it's like learning about kind of where it was before far and kind of how far you've came to be at the stage now where it's kind of we have all these opportunities because of people's mm-hmm. people in the past and putting in like time and effort into it. That's a really nice thing to yeah. hear. I think I think that that story is not new to you, George, because <laughs> you've probably been sitting through that story how many times? Oh, it's been a, a lot of times, <laughs> but I mean, it, it never gets old. It's no. a really good story to hear. I, I think the reality is I've said it so many times that I actually feel like I've lived through <laughs> all of that. You know, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't, but I think that's the part of the the storytelling process isn't it you know you kind of you can see yourself through the lives of other people you can see yourself kind of as ridiculous as it sounds as as a young kind of person growing up with no resources and and equally how terrifying it would have been for for potentially a young single mum trying to to support her family her children in an area where you're suddenly surrounded by people with shotguns and uh and you know kind of this this wasn't you know this wasn't the telly this wasn't something that was happening in bronx this was happening on your doorstep and how to kind of rationalize that is just strange (laughs) but they had to they had to find a kind of uh, a solution because the you know there wasn't the option of just kind of up in sticks and moving somewhere else this was your home and uh uh, and ultimately, you know, you wanted to to improve it, and uh, and I feel kind of that sense of huge amount of frustration, of feeling completely isolated, and who do you go to for help? Um, up against uh, something that was was terrifying, you know, and drug stealing, and and kind of. Uh, people who were selling drugs to to children as well must have such a kind of like a terrifying impact on your on your mindset and um, you know ultimately I think that kind of caused uh, such a strong reaction that it that it really is kind of imbibed in the uh, in the community spirit I think as as I like hear the story and stuff it kind of makes me think like what can I do to like be like like you hear all the things they've done to make the community what it is it's kind of like it makes me think what can I do to help that more how can I like help like make it better hmm. I think that's kind of um it's one of the really powerful things about that story yeah definitely and I, and I think kind of you know I, I guess for the the longevity of the organization that's the the difficulty because uh as mentioned it's the the 30 year anniversary and and, and so Jordan was was taking you around and showing you the the artwork that our artist in residence did, 
one of the the interesting thing is the array and diversity of, of people that are depicted in the murals and for your viewers, listeners, I should explain that we worked with two artists, two visual artists. One was a sculptor, Annette Paulson, and the other was a photographer and filmmaker, Sharon Bailey. And they spent six months with us working on, uh, working on an artist in residence that was funded by the city council. And, uh, and they worked with people like Jordan and other people that used the buildings to create uh, a mural of photographs of uh, ceramic images. And, uh, and I've got to tell you, it's quite surreal coming in and seeing your own face mounted on a wall every morning. Um, but the, uh, the, the important kind of lesson from that is the array of other young people like Jordan who are coming through the organization, who've been a beneficiary, um, but has had that kind of commitment and talent. And you've got to say, you can't discredit the, the talent element of it to, to understand the needs of other young people that are coming into the building and to want to care about that and to, to try to find ways to make their experience a better experience and understanding from growing up in the area better than probably any other person, um, how challenging it is and, and how isolating it is to, to grow up in, uh, in a community that's, that's quite kind of, you know, it's, it's an urban area, but it does feel very isolated. On the topic of young people benefiting from the service and the challenges young people face, Jordan is heading the I Will Project, which is about homelessness, which aims to not only help people who are experiencing homelessness in the area, whether it be young people or older people or whoever, um, it aims to educate young people in schools about homelessness. Jordan, I would be really interested to know what it's been like um, to, to head this project as a young person trying to to do a project for other young people and what your experiences of the project have been like so far? Well, yeah, I'd say um, we got the kind of brief of the project and it, the goal was to kind of change the viewpoint pe uh, people had of a certain group. And um, when we sat down and discussed it, we, um, we thought if we could change the viewpoints of both uh, young people and homeless people in kind of Newcastle, uh, that would be a really cool thing to do. So we thought, like, how we wanted to go about doing it. And um, we sat down and we thought, like, we we couldn't solve homelessness in Newcastle through doing this one project, but we wanted to kind of make a difference and kind of, if anything, raise awareness to the issues that kind of homeless people have. And hopefully by doing so, change the viewpoint that people have on youth because... Um, a lot of people view youth uh, as kind of a delinquent and kind of hooligans. That's not really from my experience of like who we are. We care about other people. We want to help make the world better and stuff, but we are seen as like delinquents and we're just troublemakers. So we thought like by doing this project and getting loads of youth volunteers on board, we could kind of help change that viewpoint of us whilst doing something beneficial to the city that we live in. And um, so we, we kind of talked about what we could possibly do. And I think we settled on homelessness because a few 
people that we know, a few youth that we know have been homeless at one point. They understand of like how horrific it is to kind of be in that situation, especially when you're younger and you kind of have a less of a clue of like what or like what you would do if you're just suddenly thrown onto this curveball of like you're homeless now. So we went forward with this kind of idea of like, well, we'll try and help the homeless. And um, with the help of Mark, who helped us write kind of all the application and try and help us work out how we go about doing the project, it became like, I'd say quite uh, successful so far. It's really kind of surreal learning about homelessness because at the same time, we're trying to learn as much as we can so we can help the issue. And it's when you start hearing about kind of how like the conditions people live in and choices they're forced to make every day it it really kind of hits you and kind of it makes you where you probably wouldn't have thought about it before it kind of really opens your eyes and that that's something really powerful that i think more people should be made aware of and uh, hopefully by the end of the project that should happen on the topic of like all the stigma involved with kind of homelessness we thought why do we have this stigma? Why does everyone walk down the street and ignore a homeless person or look at them with almost disgust? And we thought we were brought up on that. That was the idea as we were taught. We would walk down the street with our parents and say, oh, don't look at them. They're, they're there because um, it's their own fault. They've taken drugs. They're, they're on that. And um, I think that's kind of the same with quite a lot of people is... Um, they've been brought up with the idea of homelessness is like a disease and you should just ignore it. We, we thought we want to combat that by trying to get young children and uh, kind of teenagers to realize that it's not something that should be ignored. It's not, it's not always just the homeless person's fault that they're homeless. We kind of want to do that by going around like schools and like giving a presentation and hopefully kind of change that viewpoint really early on so that they don't grow up with it and pass it on to their kids. Yeah, I, th- I think the um, the interesting thing, more or less from the outside, was seeing through young people's eyes the things that were emerging in terms of small realisations of larger government policy and how that actually impacts upon people when we started the the project young people were starting to talk about their own personal experience of homelessness in terms of how universal credit had taken away the family home from young people and how they'd ended up becoming nomadic and living in you know kind of sheltered accommodation going from kind of temporary accommodation uh, and, you know, this is a young a young girl who was 14, 15 at the time and had younger siblings to experience that at that stage when it's no fault of anybody's. It's it's kind of come from policy. Those realisations were, were really kind of uh, dispelled this sense that it, it, it's a choice or that it's the consequences of bad decisions that you've made. The idea that they, they wanted to, to create this dialogue around the perception of homelessness uh, and raise awareness of that experience that it could be from anybody. It could be from a child, a young person, an adult losing their job. could be an older person who's, you know, kind of had their their home taken away from them. Um, So all all of these factors could be us just for for whatever circumstance uh, kind of befalls us. 
And I think the fact that kind of they've also picked, you know, nice, easy subject like homelessness <laughs> shows the uh, the tenacity and the uh, worldview, if you like, uh, of, of the young people, that it's not insular. They're not thinking just about what's, what's going to please us, what's going to be of interest to us. They're, they're looking out into all of these things. Young people taking the opportunity to reflect upon that and say kind of, no, why is that accepted? Why is that acceptable in our society? And it's no different in Newcastle, it's right across the country. I totally agree with what you're saying about personal choices, because in my research, these same key ideas came up about people's perceptions of people in poverty being about personal choices and bad choices. You know, it's it's not, and it's the same with homelessness. Research that's been done, especially by the Joseph Franchi Foundation, people who experience poverty and homelessness, you know, they have options more so than they have these choices. It's not a choice between, you know, stay on the street for another night um, or or come off the street. It's it's options between staying in a hostel, which feels unsafe, and, you know, sleeping on the street another night where you can control the conditions of that a little bit more. So I'm interested to know the plan about how you're going to educate people about about these issues and how you're going to educate young people. Well, obviously, we're kind of approaching the uh, project. We kind of split it into four main categories. Uh, obviously, I've talked about going to schools and talking with uh, young kids and like the teens to kind of change that viewpoint. We also had the idea of like uh, leaflets, which we could distribute out to the homeless so that they can almost uh, get access to information that they may not have. Stuff like um, hostels, both dry and drug allowed hostels kind of needle exchange because obviously we can't just force homeless people to not take drugs because a lot of it is kind of like either an addiction that it's hard to kick when you're in that kind of situation but also relief and um, I've talked to a few that um, can't physically sleep without taking some form of drugs because of the experiences they've had on the streets um kind of uh, people they can talk to and try and like um, uh, health places, a lot of stuff like uh, Streetwise, uh, all those organisations, information that really helps them that they may not have had uh, access to because of the circumstances they've had to go through. Uh, one of the other sections was we've, as we're going into winter, it's getting harder and harder to be on the street and it's getting like, it's, uh, it's a difficult kind of situation. So we wanted to put together like care packages or um, stuff that we can kind of distribute out to homeless people. Stuff like uh, non-perishable foods, uh, clothing like gloves and scarves. As we're looking at it, we, we think, what about kind of like, you know, hygiene products, something that is often overlooked is people think, oh, well, if we give homeless people food, that's all they really need. Stuff like female hygiene products or um, kind of roll-on deodorant stuff stuff that just it's it's something that we take for granted but for them it's like it could make a huge difference so putting together something like that as we kind of go through the winter would be um kind of a, a really nice thing to kind of make sure that you know they're not feeling like you know they're completely forgotten and kind of kind of help them through that winter period other uh, like kind of last thing we kind of thought of was we need to raise awareness about homelessness. Like, we need to get people's eyes onto the issue rather than, like, kind of the distractions that are constantly there. So we kind of want to um, 
do a big documentary style of like um, the whole process we've went through and kind of the experiences of homeless people. We we had a plan to do a first person kind of perspective of going through this like kind of whole process because it is a process of homelessness. It's not like you wake up one day and suddenly you, you've got to live on the street. It's there's people you talk to, there's places you go, but there's a there's a process that may or may not help, and it's it's it um it's really interesting to kind of hear about that and kind of something you don't ever think about as you go through your normal day. So we want to kind of do a f- kind of viewpoint of that as we um, have uh, homeless people tell their stories and have them tell their side of the story that isn't normally told. Absolutely. It's giving them agency, which is something homeless people and people in poverty, I think, are often not afforded. And in this project, it's clear that they're able to have a voice. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, as I said, a lot of people just kind of uh, don't even give them t- like a glance or like eye contact. They just pretend they're not there and... It, it's hard and I can't imagine someone doing that to me in my life where if I was just living my life and someone just pretended I didn't exist yeah. or that I was kind of worse than dirt which is a lot of the looks you get I think that's that kind of uh, that sense um, of invisibility um, that homeless people must feel and uh, and how that must undermine your own sense of uh, of worthiness and and how you actually fit into uh, into a community how you fit into a society and I think some of the things that Jordan's talked about in terms of care packages that they are things that we take for granted that we that we just see as not even uh, a necessity we just see them as standard things you know toothpaste you know, shaving equipment, deodorants, kind of uh, sanitary products. We just see them as run-of-the-mill kind of things that you have and that you need. But what happens when you're in a situation where you've got no kind of income that you control? And then it may well be impacted by other things, like other things that we haven't talked about, like mental health uh, and lack of access to to medical services, lack of access to, to medicines, to prescriptions having no fixed abode so you can't get a GP appointment. All of, all of these kind of impacts are kind of working against a person who's homeless. And then, as we say, kind of uh, in terms of homelessness in young people, um, young people already have less choice and control of the circumstances. If you become a young homeless person, then really the, the world's doubly against you. We'll say that this kind of piece of project work's been funded by the Virgin Money Foundation and uh, and it's through their their social action uh, program and I think it's it's fantastic that kind of um, funders are really identifying this as a as a need and I think you know as I mentioned before kind of it's it's not something that's just restricted to uh, to to towns and to cities. I think there's a growing trend where homelessness is is being identified in in kind of urban communities, rural communities, even in kind of uh, inner city areas and uh, in in people's kind of residential areas. So it's it's trying to to see you know kind of where kind of young people can really find a a point to 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 kind of get the the debate 
around homelessness raised from you know kind of it being a local issue to to much more on a kind of a, a citywide and a national kind of uh, agenda because uh, obviously the the pressures on housing uh, and housing stock in in all kind of places around the UK is is massive um but you know we find that kind of like from the the research that Jordan and other young people have been doing how homelessness can be a, a, a real spiral into decline for the person and I think you know ultimately it's bringing it back to that person that if that person's invisible then you know that could be kind of one of your family members how do you how do you kind of help that person kind of find themselves and if it's a young person put them into contact and I think the the idea that they've come up with practical solutions uh, is a is a very kind of young person kind of focused idea you know it's not just thinking about let's let's have a you know a forum to talk about it they're looking for for practical things that they could make a difference and uh, I think you know ultimately those those elements can contribute uh, to, to part of a solution. Mentioning things we take for granted such as food I want to ask a little bit more about what the Far Centre is doing currently about holiday provision in the local area because, you know, we can't take for granted that all young people during their six-week holiday will be fed. Yeah, so um, it was it was something that we've identified for a long period of time. So pretty much since we've had a community centre, we've been operating and providing play scheme provisions to try and provide some positive activities for, for children and young people uh, during the, the six weeks holidays. Um, it can be a really, really challenging period of time for, for families. It can be a really challenging time for children and young people as well. Um, so we've gone from the, the stability and normality and routine of, of school to, to avoid and that vacuum can often lead to, to difficult and challenging behaviour happening at home and in the community. So for us, we always saw it as a, a fantastic opportunity to engage and uh, and to, to reach out to, to other children and young people who maybe haven't accessed the project before, but also so that we could do some developmental stuff with them and, and find ways to, uh, to engage them in creative kind of uh, projects within the, the centre and fun stuff as well you know it's summer i think for us one of the one of the difficulties is around kind of food poverty and around kind of holiday hunger as it's suddenly being kind of uh, entitled and um it it is a real complexity because I think the, the number of, uh, of children and young people who are accessing free school meals at school um, has increased. And, uh, and ultimately, then you've got a period of time of, of children being kind of dependent upon that, coming up to, to the six, seven weeks during summer where that's suddenly no longer a resource that's available to them. And I think prior to this summer, what we'd seen is a very sad kind of polarity during lunchtime where some children and young people uh, would come up with packed lunches, they would come with food, they would have healthy drinks and snacks. Um, and ultimately, you know, kind of you, you would be 
quite happy about it. And then you would see other children that would maybe have uh, a bag of crisps and a, and a fizzy drink, and that would be it. And then other children that would have nothing. And we would be there during this break time period and seeing this 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 huge range of, of children that are all living in our community, that are all living within five, ten minutes of each other. Um, and uh, and it, it's, it's quite sad as a practitioner to see that and to feel kind of completely, how do we, how do we support this? How do we, how do we kind of try to combat this? Because it's something that needed resourcing. So this year we were delighted that, that we were approached and uh, in Newcastle it's been delivered by Street Games in partnership with Newcastle City Council. And uh, and it's got the hashtag of Newcastle Best Summer Ever, and um, they've given us provision and support to to be able to to provide a healthy lunch option for for children and young people. The target is obviously children and young people on who qualify for free school meals. Our uh, our approach to it is to provide. Uh, food option for everybody that that wants to take that up and uh, and that's been I would say a more successful approach because ultimately we didn't want to get into stigmatizing or isolating people in the the you know the haves and have nots we wanted to provide a provision that everybody could access um, and this year we've we've had record numbers of children and young people accessing the provision whether the two things are linked it's it's too early to tell we're we're kind of into kind of the end of week three of the summer provision at the end of you know the the summer we could reflect on that but so far early indications are it's it's been really really popular not just in our project there are a lot of other projects around newcastle delivering the same kind of scheme and uh we're seeing kind of really good results from that. So I've had a long history of holiday provision, whether it be I was on a board with the Children's Health Fund where we gave grants to charities who were hosting holiday provision or as a young person, I've went to holiday provision before as part of youth groups that I've been involved with. Um, another really key thing to know as well is that holiday provision works best when it's accompanied with activities and, you know, cultural experiences and not, and not just giving young people food. Um, since we're coming up to the end of the podcast, I want to ask you both, um, obviously you're both part of an organisation which you obviously have the same goal as, but what do you want as an outcome to the projects that you're both working on? Uh, as I've said, the outcome that we really want to see is the change in viewpoints of um, the two different kind of groups of the homeless and the youth. And um, it would be really good to kind of see the issue of homelessness be approached more and kind of have some light shone on it rather than like just kind of hiding it under the rug, so to speak. So I think that's the main goal I'd like to see achieved by the end of this. Well... I think ultimately, the fact that we're sitting next to that I'm sitting next to Jordan, somebody who's or already said that he's been here from age three and nineteen, yep, illustrates something that I think is is critical not just for our charity but for all charities. It's longevity. You know, the the change isn't achieved 
in a, in a one-year, two-year, three-year grant that changes over sustained, um, continuous support. And, and that's where you really start to see the fruition. You see kind of uh, a young person like Jordan coming from being a beneficiary to somebody who's really got the tenacity to want to put something back into the community. So the thing that I would like to see is longevity for, for all projects is, is ultimately to, uh, to have that for, for the Newcastle Best Summer Now, for the, for the I Will Social Action, for our centre, obviously, uh, and for the, the sector in Newcastle. Mark, Jordan, thank you for being on the podcast today. Pleasure. Thank you.